What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 91 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pew, and as ever, I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, we're in February already, which is terrifying. Uh, how are we? Yeah, we are very, very well, living a contented life at the moment. Uh, but yeah, February, what the hell, man? How does this keep happening? Like, time, just moving. What on earth? Um, have you had a chance to check out Rallo Tomasi's new album yet? No, are you going to shout at me because I haven't? Because sh- I do like Rallo Tomasi. Hey, dude, we're we're busy. We're busy, gentlemen. Um, when you get chance, please. It's great. They're a really oh, okay. great. They're a really great band. Um, I'm going to need to listen to it a couple more times to determine whether I prefer that to Erebus by Men in Prison. Two totally different albums in terms of uh, stylistically, but just in terms of the album that I prefer, I I need to listen to it a, a few more times, man. Um, but right, rather to Massey, ridiculous band, and I, where Myth Becomes Legend, I think you'll really like, man. I, I, I really suggest that you listen. I'll get over it this week, man. Don't worry about. <laughs> did you um? Did you ever listen to Pera Paladin, that that uh, pair metal band? I told you that I really got into. <laughs> I had I, I had I had a couple of I had a couple of minutes of it, but I wasn't like in the right headspace for that type of music. But I need Mate, to revisit. So much fun, honestly. Like you know, maybe pair metal. I mean, please, but like. <laughs> I really, I really, really like that Pair Paladin album. It's it's one of those albums that, like, usually when I say something's fun to listen to, that means you can't take it seriously. But see, yeah. like, it, it, there's so much great playing on it, like in terms of the guitar and um, in terms of reading guitar as well. Like, it, it's so much. You know, fun that's all Power Metal, Chris. Like, like, you'll get that out of any Power Metal album. Yeah, like, it's a Power Trip. Yeah, the guitar. It's you have to be a stick guitarist to be a pair metal guitarist. Oh, well, I'm not. I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying that I don't listen to a lot of pair metal, and I think this is this is what I enjoy. And um, like, mate, <laughs> miss miss me with eighties pair metal. I ain't about it. Because eighties eighties pair metal. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Because what because what it, what it does well. Is okay. Yeah, that's a that's a great lead guitar line, but it's so cheesy and so over the top. And and so embarrassing. I, I can't believe that. Oh, embarrassing's a harsh term, man. I don't think it's embarrassing. So it's cringy at times. So I'm not embarrassed. The, well, cringy and embarrassed on too, on on too 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 far away. Now, yeah, Kamala. I just I feel like yeah, yeah. I feel I feel that I feel that cringy's like a four out of ten. Embarrassing is like. I wish you had never done this just so you had never done this or not. Let alone, let alone me witnessing it happening. I just don't want it to have happened to you. Like you feel like you're that you feel sorry for the guitarists for making the choices that they made. Well, um, it's, yeah. it's because it, like I say, it's so grandiose. It's so, it's so silly. And it, I can't believe there's the concept that like people will be walking around. And then like, if you like Slipknot like in the late nineties, like, that's not real metal. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you, you should you should have listened to Poison you, you, right till you hear Poison if you like Slipknot do you know what I mean you're not a real metal fan this is a metal Poison <laughs> yeah. metal do you know was, what I mean like, a, a wing or winger oh, like winger oh please yeah Wasp Wasp sounds like that stop yeah yeah it's um so, yeah let's let's listen to Les Machine Ed because Motley Crue are, are doing are doing things it's like man also why the fuck are we why is there a second series about a member of Motley Crue's life. What is Pat? What is Pam and Tommy in my life? What is that? Like, who decided that, that was a good idea? Honestly, that Def Leppard Motley Crue Stadium tour. They, I don't think there's anywhere else I'd like to be in the world less. 
<laughs> there's nowhere I'd like to be less than at that stadium tour. No disrespect to anyone if like I Steph said, Leppard and Motley Crue, but they're just it's just not for me at all. If I said to you, you can have like um, a painful dental procedure that will take an hour and a half, when mm. you can be at a Def Leppard Motley Crue gig and that'll take three to four hours, <laughs> where are you likely to be? Where am I likely to have more pain is, is actually the, the bigger <laughs> question. Well, That's I, the thing. I reference this anecdotally quite often about the fact that like, I saw Def Leppard headline download, and I, I was I was with a group of people that n- none of them really knew. Sobering, at, I imagine. None, none of them really knew at the gates who were headlining the third, the fourth stage, <gasps> I think. So I had to miss at the gates because obviously I didn't fancy like going on my own, you know, download ninety thousand people I can't find my tent or my crew. What I'm going to do? Like, um, so I had to miss at the gates to see Def Leppard, and honestly, after the play, pour some sugar on me. It was the longest longest hour and 10, 20 minutes of my life, man. Oh, it was so dull. Like, he, you know, I, at that same download festival, I saw Diane Wood, who obviously, who, oh. I mean, they, oh. they're not together anymore. They're, they're not together anymore. Lots of like accusations leveled at, um, at some of the members and that kind of thing. So, and then, by the way, they weren't good anyway. But when I was there, like I thought, this is terrible. This is, but at least, at least it's a little bit exciting. At least there's a little bit going on. There's at least there's a there's a few decent bass drops happening by the DJ. Honestly, Def Leopard. Oh, you could have honestly there could have been a, a forty thousand people nap going on in the middle of the crowd it honestly is so lifeless i i honestly oh, dude i'm not oh, the dentist i recently had a really tough experience at the dentist so fine i'll take motley crew and def leopard only if you're with me so that i can laugh or we can laugh for three or four hours can't do that bro i'm already at the dentist <laughs> you already chose a dentist you weren't going to be there Brilliant. yeah I'm in, the, I'm in the waiting area man join me over here look through some leaflets uh, we are the noise podcast uh, we are a rock and metal uh, show that we come every uh, Tuesday we are available on YouTube Spotify Apple Music uh, basically wherever you get your podcast me and Sam will be there the best way you can support us is by subscribing or liking slash following depending on whichever service you are using on today's episode, we are going to uh, we're going to review two albums from two bands that me and Sam have never listened to before. So I don't think that's ever happened. I think on every previous episode, Sam, the other ninety episodes of the Noise Podcast we've done, when we do two album reviews, we've all at least one of them we know a relatively decent amount of material prior. In this scenario, I've never listened to Zinada or Amorphis before. Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough to say for, for both bands on a podcast because I remember us having this conversation about bands like Keep Your Peachy and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you sort of dove in. We had very limited experience going in. But there's always usually been another band. Yeah, that that's what I mean. Some, like, some backstory. So, yeah, if, there's so there's one, if there's one we don't know, we usually know the other one relatively well. But in this case, Zeal and Arda, their self-titled record, and Amorphous' Halo are both going to be in discussion on this episode. And we know very little uh, about those bands' material prior to the albums that we're going to discuss. As well as that, as you can see from the title of this episode, I interviewed Ash Gray from Venom Prism, uh, chatted to him about Erebos, the curation process for that, uh, the, the, the fantastic detail that goes into their artwork and that kind of stuff. Really interesting chat, so stick around at the end of the episode for that. 
Follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Me and Sam both run that account. And do you know what, dude? There was literally no news that came out over the last couple of weeks that I really wanted to mention to you. Um, Corey Tyler made reference to the new Slipknot album. What do you think he said about it? Um, it's I actually read this. It's it's reference to the heaviness again, is it? But this time he said that it's slightly heavier than Volume 3 Subliminal Verses. Brilliant. Brilliant. You can you, you put a timer on that, can't you? You put a timer on it. The second, the, the second it gets announced in the studio... Every three months or four, four, maybe every five months, either Clayman or Corey Taylor are going to come out and make some kind of reference to it, either being as heavy as, heavier, or similar to Iowa, self-titled, or Volume 3. Completely agreed. I'd like to get us the bingo sheet called Slipknot Album Hype Bingo, uh, because in two months, I'd like to put a significant amount of money that Corey Taylor does, a, does an interview where he talks about the lyrics and how dark and introspective that they are. Sounds like we're that's, not coming, fans. that's coming in April. That's coming in April. That is. <laughs> it sounds like we're not Slipknot fans. By the way, if you've never listened to us before, we are massive Slipknot fans. It is just a bit, a bit daft how every single album cycle or the curation of an album cycle before an album comes out, it is. Hey, it's, it's the heaviest thing we've done since this, or it's heaviest. It's heavier than this, and not sure we need it. And it's very, very easy to pick up on. And I find it very hard to take seriously. One day they're going to record an album. It's the whole boy who cried wolf thing. They're going to record an album that is genuinely heavier or as heavy as Iowa volume three or self-titled. And we're not going to listen to it on purpose. And it turns out that's going to be the heaviest one. They're going to have like, like a social media blackout leading up to it. And it's just going to be like a, a just a drop out of nowhere. And it's going to be like skull crushing. Um, that I would love that. By the yeah, way. please. Would, actually, if that could happen. happen. The next PR move, just don't say anything and just be like, there you go. Um, but also like, it's always Corey and, and clown. Like I've I've never I've never been like like Jay Weinberg's never given an interview being like yeah the drums are really good just yeah, like yeah. the last one and the one before um that's it's just yeah it, I love the band as well I, I do I, I I adore I adore the bones of Slipknot and I, I saw a tweet where you had to decide which album you'd rather listen to forever and get rid of the other one between self-titled and Slipknot and I. Oh, I'd just struggle to think about, isn't it? And it is, yeah. those three, first two or three albums are just incredible. But yeah, they're becoming a bit caricaturish um, in the metal world, and and that's that's okay. But it, it's still stymies the love a little. Hey, the album's going to come out. We're going to listen to it. We're going to like it at the very least. We're going to see him on tour, and the cycle repeats. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, endlessly, endlessly. Uh, okay, dude, let's get started. Uh, we're going to start with Zeal and Ardor's uh, self-titled album. This is the third full length from the Swiss avant-garde metal band. It's out on February 11th via MVKA Records. Zeal and Ardor are a band that I'd heard about previously. I saw a lot of people usually mention them on Twitter. Never a band that I'd really checked out before. And it's one of those things, and the same thing I'm going to say for Amorphis later on, I went in with pretty much no expectations and sometimes that can really work in your favour. And in, in this case, for Zeal and Arda, and sorry, let's, just, let's just get this out there, really one of the more unique albums we've reviewed on this podcast. I really don't think we've ever talked about anything like this. Do you remember we were reviewing Ling- Lingua Ignota last year? And we said, regardless of yeah. whether you like this or not, it, you won't have heard anything else like it. Where you can listen to it and it might not be your thing, but you won't have heard anything else like it. And maybe not the case that you've never heard anything like Zeal and Arda before, 
but they are quite a unique proposition, aren't they? Yeah, it's more that you've heard the ingredients, but you've not seen them put together in this in this night is in this nature. That's um, a good before. shout, yeah. I like that. Um, if I just rattle you four bands that I or four artists that I have mentioned in my notes here that I feel like there are moments where it links. Uh, Chasing Status, um, hate to mention him, but Marilyn Manson, Enter Shikari, and Modern Bring Me. Any thoughts on that? I, I, I don't disagree. Can I give you four of mine? Yes. Corn. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crunch. Rag and Bone Man and Svalbard. Rag and Bone Man is a, is a cracking shout, actually. Yeah, Rag and Bone and Svalbard as well. I like that. Yeah, because the old black metal, like high octane kind of first uh, fifteen seconds of immersion, mate. That's could be a Svalbard song. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with that, you know, we we know very little about Zeonada, but there's there's eight <laughs> there's eight bands that we listed there that most of them sound nothing like each other. We enter Shikari and Svalbard in the same conversation of what a band sound like, and Marilyn Manson and Chase the Status and Rag and Bone Man. If you've never heard of Zeonada before, it'd be an interesting <laughs> festival liner, wouldn't it? I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> Redden and Leeds 2023, isn't it? <laughs> You're listening to this thinking, Are this band even good? Uh, dude, I think this band are great. I, I, I think this is really, really interesting. I think this is really good. I'm not going to stretch to great because what I think about this is that it's a jack of all trades, master of none scenario. Um, what I think is that the band are really, really good at blending these styles together, but I'm not actually convinced that they're terrific at any individual one. Um, but I think what I will say is that I think this has a chance to be really impactful because it blends some stuff together that metal fans wouldn't bring themselves over to, but when it's layered with the kind of stuff that Zeal and I'd do it with, I think it can be really big. Because there are moments on some of these choruses across the songs where I'm not just thinking Rack and Bowman, I'm thinking like Imagine Dragons. I'm thinking like Royal Blood mm. um, with that pop sensibility, with like a kind of harsh, you know, that kind of harsh dryness to the, the vocals. And that's not something a metal fan is ever going to go for. But when every 45 seconds they're playing like black metal, blast beats and stuff, then it gives it kind of like a, an undercurrent of metal all the time that keeps running back. Um, I think this is really, really good. I think this is really, really interesting. I think obviously it goes to show, as you can imagine, this is a very talented bunch mm. and they are clearly able to um, pick and choose um, what areas and dissections of genres they want to include. And they're in the luxury of being able to do a lot of those very well. But I actually think that the band are at their best um, when they choose one particular template and stick with it throughout a song rather than diverting between. There are a couple of moments that we've talked to in sort of detail of this, but there's a few songs on here where I'm thinking, oh, if you could just do that for another 15 seconds without going to another genre. Oh, if you could just stay there. And the, and the songs where they do stay there, I, I think are the highlights. Um, but I too often find that they're not switching for switching sake, but it does feel a very frenetic pace that sometimes I think dilutes their overall impact. But that being said... I think that they have a chance to kind of take Metal Boy Storm a little bit because they have the kind of um, unique and easily identifiable sound because of the, the combination of stuff that's, that's really going to really pique Metal fans' interest. And like I said, they're packaging what is usually a pop melody, which is in, in, in sort of like wrapping it in metal a little bit and then giving it to Metal fans, which has always worked. 
always work. The greatest metal bands ever have always essentially been pop bands that they've then you know layered it with all the stuff that they're all so good at. It's why I think Sleep Token are great, and it's hard. Sleep Token are a great pop band. Yeah, I think they've just layered it with all this other stuff that wins metal fans over. But metal That's fans fair. always love to have a have a sing and have a ballad and have a have a dance. They just like some riffs there as well. And I think Zeal and Arda have hit that. That's as fair. well. I think that could also get played on Radio One. This is just some of Definitely. these songs. Definitely. Sort of transition across. So I think, yeah, I think they're the chance to be really, really big. They've already had a Metal Hammer cover as well, haven't they? So on the up. From the research I've done, Zeal and Arda is primarily the brainchild of Manuel Gagnon. Uh, he recorded all instruments on this album except the drums. So pretty much what we're hearing is not quite a Beartooth scenario, but a scenario where it, it, it's pretty much from what I've researched, his vision. And I've got to say that <laughs> I've, got, I've got to reference the Beartooth scenario there. Zeonardo and Beartooth, not just stylistically, couldn't be further apart, but also couldn't be further in the part, apart in the sense of I could tell you what the next three Beartooth albums sounds like now. All uh, the songs sound different for a start. <laughs> yeah, I could tell, tell you what the next three Beartooth albums are going to sound like now. Where Zeonardo, dude, <laughs> seriously. Oh, when, when one song would, would come, so for example, you know, Run, Death to the Holy, Immersion, Golden Lawyer, Erase, they're the, uh, uh, with the uh, title track, which is like an interlude, uh, not counting. Those are the opening five songs. They sound nothing like each other. They're all like totally different. Like Death to the Holy is more of a like hip hop kind of Run the Jewels opening. You mentioned Immersion, which you felt like could have been done by Svalbard. I got a big transient lush kind of Enshikari tone from that. Golden Liar is like a Southern Rock ZZ top monologue. It's with this kind of really rustic riff, really unusual. Erase is like, gives you this kind of red herring of beauty before a black metal rasp explodes out the gates. Literally like this album is like, is whack-a-mole of, of genre and, but not in the sense of it's the kitchen sink and no, nothing works. You say you think this is really good. I, I would, I would say eight out of 10. If you, if you force me to, to grade this album, we don't do that anymore. But if I was forced, I would say eight. I do think this is great. And, and one of the reasons why I think it's great is because, Literally, I mean, what could possibly be next? And yet what does come next, you didn't predict, and he's still accomplished well. Yeah, I think this is, um, I think the, the variety is obviously the spice of that. I'm interested to see what direction that takes moving forward. I also like um, the mention of the, the main songwriter, um, Manuel Gadno, that I love that that sounds like a complete sentence about a man being attacked by another person called Manuel. Manuel, God, no! Um, <laughs> but, but the rest of it, like... I don't care, man. I'd, I couldn't, it's, it's, it'd be in there, it needs to come out. Um, but like, I, I completely agree. Like, I was thinking every time I heard, every time I heard a song, I made like a completely different judgment about the type of band that they were. And then the next song completely erased that going in. And, and, and like I say, like, without talking about ourselves in this kind of way, typically we've heard a lot of stuff. So usually, my feelings on what the blueprint is tend to be pretty close. And mm. so this is a, su surprising when bands sort of like divert from that um, as often as they do. But I, I agree with you, like the open here run, great toms. And I was immediately thinking, okay, they're new metal a bit of five finger death punch, but less embarrassing. And, and then it flicks into this sort of like black metal groove that completely changes the pace. I was thinking, all right, maybe the bit of early corn, maybe there's a little bit of um, new metal core going on in here in terms of the, the harshness and the heaviness. Great, good metal band. I know what I'm getting now. Um, you, you're right, Death of the Holy. Um, his voice at the start sounds like early Kings of Leon. 
that kind of like shit. Yeah, <laughs> I really didn't need to do impersonation, did I? Oh um, my god, that was amazing. <laughs> if you listen to this album based on anything at all, don't base it on that last 15 seconds. Oh. Um, but like the idea that like he, 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 he sort of wavers around the notes rather than sticking to it, he's got that sort of Kings of Leon type of vibe. But then, like you say, there's like a spoken word bit that again, I was thinking this is like King Gate 10, but again, less corny. Um, and then the breakdown at the end is really, really terrific. Immersion does the same thing. In the sense of like, I'm completely shifted away. Um, the atmosphere is wonderful. Um, I thought that was a real highlight immersion because of the, the 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 relationship between some of the melodies that were layered underneath. I felt this is what we're talking about when we had um, some of the breakdowns were a bit simplistic, and some of the melodies that were being used were a bit simplistic over it. So that's what I was thinking. I was like, this is metal, but like kind of like like an intermediate version of metal, mm, where mm. it's like it, there was there was a few moments where it was a bit repetitive. And you could kind of tell that without, again, like the band a lot, you could kind of tell that's not what they do all the time. They're not purely metal musicians that do metal all the time. It's like, here's a bit of metal. Here's a, do you know what I mean? It kind of felt like a tapas selection of, of, of heavy music. And, and that's where that's where I think their, their strengths were when they actually varied away from that, actually went to what they were, I thought they're really good at, which is on Golden Liar, which is a classic rock and roll, smoky clubhouse, beautiful melody. Mm. They're just it's a great rock song. Yeah. And now I think they're a better I think they're a better rock band than they are a metal band on this. Um and I think that's where their their strength is. When I hear when you hear like Erase, which feels like classic bat metal with some death metal working behind, the talent is evident. And this is what I'm talking about. What they did in the opening part of Erase was they played that high-pitched guitar melody over the breakdown. And then in the second half of the song, they played the same melody, but it was a discorded version, but it followed the same syncopation, it followed the same like tone. And, and it felt repetitive and it felt like, oh, we need to do something there. Let's just vary this slightly for sort of like layered and like sort of character development within the melody and things like that. And I felt like if you handed that to a, a metal band that we might have had a more creative sense there. But that being said, the metal band can't do what these guys can do on songs like Bow and Feed the Machine, where it yeah. fits between like bluesy rock. He- Feed the Machine is terrific. Like, yeah, it's amazing. That song is... And a, and a black metal song just altered together and it keeps swapping between and that's the balance that works. Um, I Caught You, guitar sound of um, maybe a bit of St. Anger in the guitar sound, the way that kind of like, well, kind of like bends the string and heads back to the notes and that type of stuff. Love that. And there's so many moments here where I'm like, oh, I heard, here's a little bit like that. His vocal range is so impressive. Incredible. Um, and Manuel's vocals are, are astonishing amazing there's there's moments on this when i hear like um got a damarung i think this is what i'm gonna, gonna pronounce yeah the german um, one the shades, yeah yeah well it's um it's shades of like maynard keen from um from tool uh, uh, over the sort of like the light melodies over something really really heavy yeah and then just absolutely fantastic clean riffs and and and, and just really 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 good when it when it's when it's simple when they when they find a blueprint and really stick with it, like on I Caught You, like with Golden Liar, I think that's where the band their strength when they have a complete identity around one theme. I, I like the variety, but I prefer it on like a track by track basis rather than like a thirty second to thirty second basis. Well, it's so interesting you mentioned that. But it's it's interesting you mentioned that because um, as I was reading about the album, Manuel had said in an interview that instead of really picking apart the album and 
that they wrote this part, but he wrote this part and then he thought, is that good enough? He would just go with his first instinct and kind of stick to it. And there is a simplicity to this album, isn't there? And the simplicity, and I don't, and I really do mean that as a compliment. Like this album, in a lot of the songs, in terms of this, how can I say this? It's not criticism. Not a lot goes on in a lot of the songs, but I don't mean that in the criticism. I mean that in the terms of they lay a hook and they loop it around some different fusion of ideas. And there's like five or six different things that happen in the song and that's it. But it works because the hook that they lay and loop around is, is usually brilliant. For example, on Death to the Holy, a lot of Death to the Holy is centered around this growl of the of Death to the Holy, like the title, the, the track, uh, the title of the track, sorry. It works. The when the breakdown comes back in after the drum fill with the death to the holy grail going on in the background, it's amazing. Even though it's been it's happened for most of the song, it still feels amazing. There's a really really cool moment as well, and you kind of referenced it earlier when it was on. Uh, I caught you. Those cold orange atmospherics, mate. You must have thought of me when that coming. Yeah, when they dropped yeah, those and, atmospherics and electronic- in, and and they went a bit cold orange. You knew you must have been thinking Chris is bouncing around somewhere right now listening to this because that bit is amazing on I caught you. I, I completely I completely agree. For for, for for me, the ones that were the way that really, really, really went through were like I when you get the second half of I caught you when they just unleashed the rage of the riff for once. And it feels like for the for the majority of the majority of the album, we, we we're getting stuff we, like you say it was a bit muted. Like Death of the Holy for breakdowns like that, most metal bands are pushing that right to the front. It felt like that riff was kind of like just secondary to the little electronic sound. It was quite muted, um, and that's 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 um that's an interesting interesting selection. Certainly different to what I would usually sort of get from bands like that. I I agree that this is um this is really good. This is really creative. This is uh this is well written and 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 man for. We just want something interesting, and this is absolutely that. Something that's individual and unique and clearly true to himself. Um, I'll be interested to see if he continues the switch between the metal and the bluesy stuff uh, moving forward and how that transpires. Um, I think I think the strength lies when they're, when they're a straight-up rock band and a metal and like sort of bluesy stuff. But I, I like the idea that they include the metal stuff as like a kind of change of pace down the line. Um it's really good. It's really good. I can, I can, I can see quite a bright future for this band. Also, the name is incredible. Zealandardo yeah. is an amazing name. It's beautiful. It's, it's perfect. It's just really, really good. Um, so I think, I think this, I think this band have a chance to be to be quite impactful in 2022. One of the bands that we talk about this time next year as as having an impact across this year, and the variety and the musicality of this is incredibly impressive. Really going to be impressive. Like you said earlier, like we said earlier, if you're talking about like Run the Jewels, Enter Shikari, but also more traditional metal acts like Korn, um, then all those combined together has a chance to be a really sort of uniting type yeah. of release. Well, how how important are a band like this to metal? Because the question isn't who could they, who couldn't this band be on a support bill for? Well, outside, you know, outside of extreme metal, who couldn't they support really? Do you know what I mean? And that's a that's a good, that is a cool thing. Who couldn't they support? Could Sleep Token and Zealandardo do a co-headline show? Definitely. That could both sub-headline Bring Me the Horizon. I'd take yep. that from directly from a dream yep. that I could have. Yeah, definitely. Be, that'd be utterly, utterly phenomenal. They, these guys could support 
architects. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah. quite, quite, quite easily. Um, yeah, that's the thing. They're not, they're not particularly tied down to a particular genre or a particular idea or even a particular theme. And I think that that might be some of the directions that we end up going in. These kind of hybrid bands are yeah. starting to crop up a little bit more often, where rather than a specific "we are this," you are starting to get bands that are stretching their sound out and ex- extending that palette. Sleep Token are a good example of of that, and I think I'll, and and I think over time we're gonna we're gonna include Zeal and Arda in that, and and I think that's really 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 great for the genre, like you said, really really great for the industry. And again, this band are going to be introducing metal fans to a type of pop and melody that actually now feels acceptable. Mm. And that is typically a path to quite large success. So I can see this working for them as well. They're impressive. Just a closing note from me. You want to know how impressive this album is. <laughs> there's a song in here called Church Burns. And there's also a song about about, about six, seven minutes later, another two or three tracks later called JMB. And they sound like two completely different bands. You could definitely be convinced that there were two different bands or or maybe there was one person that borrowed from the band that did Church Burns to come and do JMB, but they sound like two different bands. It's not very often you can say that and both tracks really work and both tracks are great. I think this is a really, really impressive album. Um, I, I would say Zeal and Arda, they're going to be very, very important for the future of, of metal. I think they're going to. I think they're going to cut, not catch on fire in the sense of like Metallica or anything like that. They're going to catch on fire relative to success of what they can achieve. And I think that we're going to be looking at a band that within another album or so hits Academy level. And that's the coolest thing because once you're in 2000 uh, capacity venues, we're really moving and that they can do something really cool for metal. Um, I'm all about this Zealand self-titled album. Great. I'm going to check out the other two records. They're really good. Yeah, they're they're officially on the zeitgeist, aren't they? They're officially part of the conversation. Um, I think I think it's just really really nice to have bands that are not so easily identifiable, and I think that's really mm. great for the industry and really great for folks like us. Let's be honest. We are going to move on to the final topic of the show before my interview with Ash from Venom Prism comes in. Let's move on to Amorphous Halo. It's out on February 11th via Atomic Fire Records. It is the Finnish band's 14th studio album and the follow-up to 2018's queen of time when you're listening to a band for the first time sam and they're on their 14th album that is quite an experience and i guess it's also fairly daunting because when you've got when you've got no headspace for comparison i suppose your only possible hope is that you enjoy the record when you when you, you listen to a band for the first time and they're 14 albums in you would expect them to be really really set on their style and you're listening, thinking, right. Okay. Is this the best they've been or the best I could possibly be now? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think within 15 seconds, I could tell you what the rest of their discography sounded like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, within, within the first few minutes, it's quite clear like what the blueprint could possibly have been. Although I cannot say that for certain because this is the first amorphous record I've listened to. We can only speculate. I can only speculate, but I'm fairly confident. What I will say, Sam, is I would, you, I would go into this with no headspace for comparison. I suppose the only possible hope is that I would enjoy it. I think this is. I think this is good. I like this. Yeah, um, I think this is. I think this is enjoyable. I think this is fun. Um, I think this has. 
<laughs> a lot of mom, a lot, a lot of moments where I'm like, all right, okay. All right, let's get let's get the cat out of the bag. It's what what are we gonna call this? Is this power metal? Is this prog metal? Is this black metal? Is this like a kind of trio of the three? Where are we putting this? I would say it's specifically pitched to be that trio, power prog and black metal. That's I, I that's yeah. specifically what it's going for. All right, it, it and you know what, dude? Like... The power metal is. I, I don't mind the power metal. Yeah, no, it's absolutely no. It's it's decent. It's pretty. It's, it's good power metal. And there's some real nice highlights here. Um, it's. It's like Final Fantasy music at times, though. Like it's game soundtrack stuff at times, isn't it? And 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 I'm, uh, it's epic and it's large and it's complex and things like that. And there are simple melodies and stuff like that, and big choruses. And if you're a power metal aficionado and you're, you're into that type of thing, like consistently, I think you're gonna be. I think you're gonna enjoy this. I enjoyed this as I as a listener. Just stick it in the background. It wasn't offensive. Like it didn't require any struggle. And there was some <laughs> there were some moments here that I really enjoyed. I'm gonna start with the positives. Number one. The title track Halo is a banger. Yeah, man, bad boy tune. Num- yeah, number one, really, really great. The the change of the chords behind the um opening guitar riff, which by the way they have found a pedal that says something along the lines of a guitar note that is clearer than the bell on a bright summer's day with a winter breeze because it just cuts through the mix every single time, and I've never heard a more clear guitar than than this on this this tone is just like angelically perfect like almost imperfect that's how perfect is it's it's astonishing um so that we still i'm going to start there there are some really really nice moments of melody and some really really big choruses but my main issue with this um is the fact that sometimes this is the choruses i think that needs a bit more of an edge and then sometimes this is the verses and i think that needs to be a bit softer like vocally so what I mean by that is sometimes you get their, their, their second vocalist. So I assume it's their second vocalist who adds the black metal growling. No, they've got one vocalist. Okay, well, then when he... Well, okay, interesting. Then when he shifts to that style, he does the black metal growling. But often the verses are quite low-key. That contrast feels strange to me as a listener. There's like a weird juxtaposition when I was listening to them. And there was this section where it was like a normal verse. It was closed hi-hat stuff. They were playing like this kind of like jazzy type. And he was growling over the top of it. And it was like a weird blend. Whereas later, the chorus got really melodic and it was almost too um, too perfect and too melodic and too sort of like cushiony and sweet and cushy. And I was like, just give me a bit of an edge. And actually one of the songs where they actually found that, really that balance was perfect on Halo because they had the chorus and they had the lovely vocal melody, but then they were adding that second vocalist there at times to shift it away. And I think sometimes it's it, the, the balance isn't quite right. Um, if you like a Mona Moth, this sounds like a softer version of a Mona Moth as well, because it's got that kind of sweeping um, guitar sound. Um, well, well, I was going to ask you if you thought this is would equate to metal Volbeat. A little bit, a little bit, but a little bit further than that. It kind of, it kind of feels a bit like I think it's closer to like the Dragon Forces of the world than it it's is not. a Volbeat. <laughs> I hate Dragon Ball. <laughs> no, but you, you can. You no, can I see what you mean. No, no, I see what you mean. 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 Because it's it, because like no, it can't be like that. <laughs> no, I do, I do see what you mean. Yeah, so that that's what that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like to me. Like, um, especially when you hear like the synth solos and stuff. That's not something that that you would hear sort of anywhere else. A couple of mentions to between the buried and me because I was at the moment I hear a synth solo. I'm like, okay, that that's, that sounds a bit like that. But it sounded a bit like um, power metal version of sort of like light era deep purple when I started experimenting prog as well. I just think sometimes that the, the songs are a little bit corny. I think they're, they're like the moon 
like it, it could be a song written for Zelda, but that that's what it feels like to me. Um, like, and it's 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 perfectly good, and be, some of the musicianship is really really interesting and really really well worked. And when it's good, it's very good at what it does, particularly. But I think too often it goes back to a kind of like, uh, like a an already heard well, if that makes sense. Like too often I'm hearing songs. It's like okay, all right, um, slow riff, chugging riff, growls. Um, up tempo chorus melody guitar comedy guitar back to growls and it's like it does follow a blueprint and a blueprint that that I've heard a few times before and they're not you know particularly excellent at so I think I think for this it's a good album and if you really like the genre you're really going to like it it's a it's an enjoyable listen and like I said like Halo legitimately I really really like that song I was like 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 jigging around the room like while I was like tidying up listening to it like yeah this is like really good like you could you could go a run for this or whatever like it's it's good music and um, the rest of it does err on the cheesy side for me and that's where it sort of starts to dampen my enthusiasm somewhat i feel like it manages for me personally to just sit right in front of the edge between emphatic cinematic and cheesy i don't feel like for me it ever actually crosses into the kind of cheesy area of the venn diagram I I like this. I, I I think there are moments of this album where like you just can't deny that it, that it's like fun to listen to. Like the you mentioned the moon. Quit. You you mentioned the moon, and you was like, oh yeah, you know, this good soundtrack Zelda. Mate, the opening guitar line is is so good. Like I'm in love with the opening guitar line. And you know when he's growling over the jazzy vowel, the jazzy chords on that song though. Do you not think it's a bit weird? It was a bit weird. Well, it, it's funny you should mention that because as I, as I was like getting my notes, I've listened to this album a few times. As I was getting my notes down for it, it, it did hit me that I thought the first three songs have all followed the same formula of like a cool opening riff, a blast of harsh vocals, clean chorus, intriguing instrumental, climactic chorus, and the three opening yeah. songs literally, literally do that. They, they sound different in how they accomplish it, but they accomplish those things each individually um, in a row, like literally in that order uh, for the first three songs. And I thought, I am worried that by song six, if I keep doing this, I'm going to have this feel like it's a long hour. Luckily, when Windman comes in, it's like more of a tribal sound, like loves the tiniest fleck of Gajira, like in that way the, 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 like the toms and the cymbals are used for like a tribal sound sound um it's much and more flute i mean, you know flute. I mean? <laughs> it's much more poised and like it's got more of a fluctuating tonality than anything that precedes it I, i've got to mention the lead guitarist and i believe i'm going to pronounce his name as isa holopainen holopainen yeah isa holopainen i believe is 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 how you would pronounce his name although i do apologize if i was wrong there Dude, some of the riffs he drops out on this so good. Some of the, some of the high pitched guitar melodies are beautiful. Oh, like, really when, like when the gods came, that like really cinematic intro. I do get what you mean. A little bit grandiose, a little bit Avengers esque, but you know you, you can you almost sense how well that would go down live, especially with the, with the band's fan base. Uh, Tommy Yates, yeah, no, Tommy Yates, yeah. is the name of the vocalist. Now I've said, I've said like, they've only got one vocalist. I do believe that they might have like a, a, a backing vocalist for like the dual layered vocals, but I do believe he is the vocalist. 
And as I, if, if I am wrong there and there's an office fan listening to this, please correct me in the comments. But from the research I've done, I'm fairly certain it's Tommy Yates and it does the vocals. And I, when they get into the pyramid sections, I'd imagine you were listening to this and thinking, right, Chris is annoyed at this point, especially with it, it, right at the start of the episode, I was talking about how much parametal can bother me, especially the 80s parametal. But actually, I, I, I find this really fun. Like the Parapaladin record that I mentioned at the start of the episode, I find it really fun. I don't, I don't see how you could listen to a song like When the Gods Came and not genuinely enjoy it. Seven Roads Came Together, the song after When the Gods Came, for me, is the best track on the album. It's got the best opening to a track on the entire record. That clean guitar, if comes in, could definitely soundtrack Flash Gordon coming to save the day. It's amazing. Uh, there's, this, <laughs> there's this epic build in the middle eight to the clean vocals in front of the Periff. You've got to love it. You've got to love it. When I come round yours, when I come round yours in four or five minutes, we're gonna I'm chuck on. We're gonna chuck on. I'm coming around yours in four or five minutes. We're gonna chuck on seven roads come together, right? And I'm telling you, we're gonna love it. This album, I, I, I think it's really. I really like this. It's so much fun. It's an enjoyable listen. I, I, maybe oh, will you just maybe go off your cynical perch for ten minutes? Maybe, <laughs> maybe I am cynical. Maybe I am cynical after all. It's just the name has stuck for four years. But when when we came across the track War and it was a Middle Eastern melody at the start, I was like, of course. Of course, this one about this one about <laughs> Afghanistan, is it, lads? Jesus Christ! And sometimes the cliches were like bang on, man. That, that's all I'm saying. Like I've got no issue with it, but the, tell me this is not the soundtrack to a turn-based fantasy game from 1999 at times. Tell you it is, but yeah, it is. Really... That, and there's no, but yeah, it is. You are right. I'm and not I like turn-based Posters on my wall dedicated to it. But um, no, I want to want to say like joke, jokes aside, if you are an Amorphis fan, I'm gonna I'm just gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that the first thirteen albums were similar to this one, and I think that this next one is probably gonna you know tickle the same musical bones than the previous ones have. I think you're gonna be buzzing. Um, I think Halo, like I said, I keep talking about Halo's really really good. The Wolf's really really good. We haven't talked about the Wolf. Yeah, thick chugging lead riff, love it. Riff at the start is fantastic. Lovely melody, and actually. After Halo, I felt that the rest of the album actually lifted as a result. Um, I also think My Name Is Right, the ballad at the end, it's beautiful. Some guitar work on that is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and at the start, on the Dark Waters and, 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 and Northwoods, I think I think they're great prog leading into black metal. That black metal song's really, really, really good. Musicianship is really nice. Like I said, really well mixed, beautifully clean. Classic Scandinavian mixing, if you know what I mean. That just I do know what you across, mean. across, across the board, um, just clear cut, um, beautiful piano, really well balanced together. Um, it's it's a good it's a good power metal album. It's a good power metal album. I can't cannot say cannot say other than that at all. That is where we are going to leave off uh, episode 91 of the Noise Podcast before my interview with Ash Gray from Venom Prism comes in. Uh, thank you so much for listening. The best way to support us is by subscribing slash liking or following, depending on whichever service you are using. Me and Sam are going to be back in two weeks' time. Not entirely sure what we're going to be, going to be reviewing just yet. Need to check the album release schedule, but we will be back regardless. Um, thank you for listening. My interview with Ash Gray comes up right now. Follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Subscribe, like, or follow. Thank you very much. We will see you in two weeks' time. We love you. Bye. So I'm now joined by Ash Gray, guitarist in Venom Prison. Mate, how are you? Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's a real pleasure. I'm good, thank you. How are you? How are you? 
mate, I'm doing everything I can to not make this 30 minutes of gaming chat because yeah. <laughs> I used to, I, I used to, I, I used to write for distorted sound and I used to read your like Ash play series. I remember you did one on death stranding and I like, I, I love death stranding and I was really finding it difficult to find someone else that was into it. And when I saw that you'd put like your, your piece up, I was like, you know what, as long as Ash Gray likes it and I do, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. We'll stand oh, for Kojima. It, oh, it's a brilliant game. It it's is awesome. a brilliant game. Like anyone that was saying it's a walking sim, is an idiot it is not a walking sim well it is the best story written game i think i've ever played since like early metal gear and final fantasy well i'm i'm like a kojima obsessive i am so i suppose it's kind of difficult for me to be objective when i talk about kojima games because he <laughs> he was so he was so pivotal in my childhood basically i mean i, I the one of the first games i ever picked up was metal gear solid 2 and I was just like, I can't believe this is what games are. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was in 2002. And I was like, I can't believe this is games. Like, previously, I was like Nintendo 64, like Super Mario and that kind of stuff. Played Metal Gear Solid 2. And I was like, man, I can't believe this is what games can be. So it's very difficult for me to criticize uh, Kojima. But I, I, I genuinely thought Death Stranding was awesome, man. Um, like, in 20, it came out in 2019. So in 2019, how many times have you ever said this game is unlike anything else? Do you know what I mean? Oh, but it, the game is genuine like anything else? Oh, it was incredible. Like, it absolutely, like, the story when it starts to break in midway mm. into the game and it all starts to, like, reveal itself and you're just like, here we go. And it's just from that moment, you just know you're just in. Like, it's just in from that moment. But brilliant. He, Kojima's got, like, an amazing way of doing a lot with a little, in a sense of, like, when, when you describe to someone what Death Stranding really is, like, you know, you're a delivery man delivering packages around America, that that sounds boring, doesn't it? You'd be like, what? That's, that doesn't sound like a game. Have they made a game out of that? But somehow they've, they made, like, Kojima made this 120-hour, like, experience. Hey, man, it's just genius, man. So good. Yeah, honestly, it, yeah. Uh, you're making me want to play it again now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, um, I've said that I've done my best to not make this about gaming, but I, I couldn't, knowing what I was chatting to you, I couldn't not open with a gaming question. I was curious uh, what you thought about the Microsoft and uh, Activision Blizzard merger and like maybe your thoughts on the potential monopolization of the gaming industry. Um, well, it's all the stuff like Activision Blizzard and all that. Like, I don't really bother with any of that, if I'm honest. Mm. Like, I've got to be honest, I, I kind of, I'm really simple when it comes to games. Like, I play a lot of games, but if it's, if it's got Square Enix on the case, I'm probably sold. Like, I literally Ricky. just want to play things like Nier Autonoma, um, you know, Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy. Wicked. Like, doing that Guardians of the Galaxy at the moment, the Square Enix one, like, brilliant. Like, that's kind of, I've never really been that World of Warcraft guy or, or COD guy as such. Like, I've, I, you know, I dabble in it. I'll be mm. playing it. But, I mean, yeah, the merge thing. Ugh. I was, like, what are they even aiming to do with it? Like, I know they're merging, but, like, is it transactions to, like, literally everything within it? Well, I mean, I've said I've said merge. I'm not sure whether I've used the right terminology. I mean, it really to purchase, like, Microsoft own Activision and Blizzard now. And I think, like, my my concern, and I'm, I'm a PlayStation guy, so I suppose it, you take this with a pinch of salt, but I genuinely believe I'd be worried if PlayStation did this as well because I really feel like if my, I Microsoft own Bethesda and Activision and Blizzard now, uh, that is an absurd amount of studios working for one company, 
And I, I just worry, I worry how that gets handled in the sense of like um, Toys for Bob, uh, like a small studio like that, like what are they going to do with them? Like they've got like 200 studios working for them. What are they going to get Toys for Bob to be doing? Do you know what I mean? Who, who this really talented studio, I really feel there's a, there's a decent chance that some studios are going to be like, can you just make maps for Call of Duty for the next 10 years? And that'd be great. And then don't worry, if you've got plans to do a game, we'll worry about that uh, in decade 2040. For now, just make maps for COD, for COD, please. Do you know what I mean? I wonder I wonder if it'll just be a year exclusive, like exclusive though, because like mm. they always say something's exclusive and a year later it gets released on to the other platforms, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is, but- that is a good point as well. I just can't see, like, I know Bethesda has said they've gone with them and, you know, they've, that's a done deal type thing. But I can't see Bethesda saying that we'll never release it on anything else when people have been playing Fallout and Skyrim and whatever mm. on, you know, other consoles other than an Xbox, for ex- you know, for example. But mm. I just can't see it being a full forever exclusive. I reckon it will drop out at some point. It's going to have to be something because it's way too much money for them to lose. Does the idea of a monopolization in the gaming industry is, as a general concept worry you? Um, yeah, I mean, it does, it does get a bit ridiculous. Like, I've kind of bought the new Xbox, the PS5 and the Switch. Mm. And it's not because I was like, oh, I need them, I need them. It just generally is I'm a gamer who likes certain games on platforms like if mm-hmm. i go for monster hunter i go straight to the switch yeah i get that you know, yeah like and to see a, a new zelda come out that's a big deal for me mm. so it's like to not have those specific consoles that have that is like such a big deal and i think what i do admire about the ps5 is that even though i do have the xbox they have the game pass and they are going a lot of day one releases go straight to the pass and mm. you know bethesda and everything we're talking about then but I think the PS5 is going back to the PS3 era where it's just not going to release quantity. It's only going to release quality. Yeah, I, I get that. I don't think they're going to be releasing <clears throat> game after game after game, but I think what they will be releasing, it's like, what did Xbox have at the time that, you know, PS3 had like the first Uncharted? Yeah, or, yeah. Um, like those games were like leagues above anything Xbox 360 was putting out, you know, mm-hmm. even their exclusives as such. But yeah you know, the last of us on the PS3. So I think as long as PlayStation stick to that, I think I'll, I'll be on board with that more so than just, you know, Xbox just having everything on a game pass and just oversaturating it. It's like Netflix. I don't know what to play. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I've got it. I, you know, I use my game pass, but like, I've got to be honest, I do sit there some nights going, I don't know what to play. Like, yeah. For the PS5, I turn it on and I either go on Returnal or Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's like, you know, it's a good time on both. Oh, mate, you know, you've mentioned Returnal, so I've got to chat to you about it now. I really will start talking to you about music in a second. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely think, I mean, I'm a massive Dark Souls fan. Uh, cannot wait for Elden Ring next month. I genuinely think Returnal is the hardest game I've ever played. You know, it is um, it's so, so punishing and yet really addictive I, I will be honest i got to like the third world and i, I have a, I, it's been a while since i played it now but there's just something like obsessive about that game that is 
Again, Dude. like unlike anything else I've played, but I, I genuinely think it's. Um, I think apparently like the Ninja Gaidens were like impossible back in the day. Um, oh, they, oh, they, they were just were. they were a bit before my time. They were, but but oh. like it's it's the hardest game I've ever played, and I'm like a Dark Souls like nut. I adore it. So, it, man, honestly, there's return on this somewhere else, man. Um, so you're on the third biome. Yeah, the so, third biome. Yeah, that's that's the right terminology. Third so, biome. So Nemesis. You're yeah, on- yeah. Have you seen him yet? Yeah, he kicks my ass, mate. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. I've been there for a month. I'm still there. <laughs> mate, it's I'm, I'm, solid. I'm still there and I refuse to like stop. Like, I'm just like, right, we're going in for a run. We're yeah, yeah. This. We're going in. But I think, um, I think I'm kind of starting to unlock a lot of stuff because I keep playing it, even though I'm not yeah. progressing. Mm. And I think I'm starting to go over the old bosses again. And pick up more data cubes and start unlocking a lot of stuff. So I'm starting to get through the areas a lot smoother because I've got a lot more stuff going on. Right. Okay. Patience. My patience is gonna have to be my patience gonna have to be key there. Just like like a Dark Souls game, really. I'll just I'm gonna have to keep cracking. But oh yeah, I, I forgot what um. I was playing for a while and then a new game came out. I forgot which one it was. And I kind of put it to the side, put it to the side, put it to the side. And now it's been like four months since I played it. And I, well, it returns when them guys there. The next time I play Returnal, I'm going to find it like almost impossible because I'll have had three, four, five, six months off. And that's a game that you need to be consistent with, man, because it's so difficult. Yeah, it's, it's a game that it wants you to learn. Like yeah. it, it, want, it wants you to learn like everything that it can do constantly especially even when you're even in the third biome like you get closer to the you know boss door and some of the bits are just so overwhelming like yeah. you're just like i'm just sat there and i'm i'm generally just like breathing and just going like <laughs> yeah like this is something else but no very good very good Got to talk to you about music. Um, yeah. Myself and uh, my co-host Sam saw Venom Prison when you opened for Trivium on that amazing uh, Metal Hammer touring. I believe it was 2017 <laughs> uh, when it was with Power Trip and Code Orange. Um, I- I'd I'd heard of you at that point, but not really delved into Venom Prison too much. Me and Sam kind of turned to each other once you'd finished your set, and there was a real acknowledgement from both of them. So, like that band's going to do something special at some point in their career. Like they're on their first album, there they're touring it. There's something about them. They'll do something great. Um, I'm assuming at that point, that was the biggest tour you'd ever been on. Looking back, does that tour feel like anything of a turning point for you? Because the you know the the legacy of Trivium, the size of the tour that you played on, the fact it was backed by Metal Hammer, which is probably the most popular metal publication that we've got in the zeitgeist at the moment. Uh, looking back, do you think that was a turning point or anything for you? Yeah, um, I think it was really good for us. We learned a lot on that tour. Like, I think even, you know, the exposure element of it, but even just internally as a band, like, we learned so much about, you know, how to kind of, like, make a band run, if you know what I mean. We were Mm. kind of always, like, seeing how, you know, Trivium, for example, are doing their things, and obviously they're doing it on a massive scale compared to what we were doing. Um, But it was like little things you were picking up and just kind of seeing how things are going and how things work. And even just watching those bands every night, you just like subconsciously taking everything in. And I think you do just learn from that experience. And as soon as you have it, you can just kind of figure ways to, you know, utilize it and grow your band with stuff you've learned, you know. This is me taking like an interpretation as a fan, but you've always like struck me as a band that adore music, 
but want to involve yourself with the industry aspect of music as little as possible. Um, but the band has really started to expand over the last four years. So I suppose now you are, you're forced to make industry type decisions. Um, is that a fair assessment that I've made? Like how, how would you manage to still come across as this really relatable independent band, as well as a band that is business savvy and making moves? Um, I think the like the message and what the band has always stood for has never ever changed and i also feel that everyone in the band's really got you know both feet on the ground i think we've always been a band that's had our feet on the ground i think that's why i think a lot of people kind of like venom prison as such because i think they get that we're not trying to be anyone different or anyone bigger or anything all we want to do is just see you know we're just basically trying to see how well Venom Prison can do with, you know, just the work that we've been putting in. Like on a personal level, my life hasn't really changed. Like neither has anyone else in the bands. Like Ben, ever since Venom Prison's been going, Ben's, you know, a manager of mental, he- uh, mental health units in Bristol, like three, four of them. Like he looks after and runs them. You know, I've, I work in a, well, I've just started recently where I'm sort in like, uh, junior apprentices in like arts and creatives like making like criterion units for them to learn and pick up qualifications um and everyone you know everyone's always been that way inclined i don't think anyone's ever had that like you know i don't know the word to use like that glam side to us we've never been a very glamorous band as mm. such like we do you know go into all these press um you know outlets as such and covers or whatever but we never really glamorize ourselves in it like we're very straight to the point with how we want a kind of venom prison to be presented and almost the aesthetics to it if that makes sense something that's always like set you apart literally from day one from your peers is of course your artwork which the artwork almost feels like a sixth member of venom prison because it's it's just so unique and so intelligent in the way that it's the, the message that each piece of artwork for each record tends to get across. And um, I'm just curious, was the idea always to have something that really like thought provoking this demanding artwork that forced you to be different from your peers? Or did you just see Eloran's first piece of work and figure out that was what you'd always want going forward? Um, we always knew that like to kind of get a message across, you know, and something that's very, you know, heavy on the lyrical side of stuff and even music, very aggressive music. You kind of build this aesthetic and this imagery up to it. And I think when we went to Eloran, we would send him the pre, this is the first time, so Animus, the first record he did with us. And I think we gave him the lyrics and we gave him the pre-productions. And then he came back to us a couple of weeks later and was like, I've basically just read your lyrics over and over again. I've listened to the music over and over again. And this section here grabs me and it was the genital mutilation and he was like i need to paint it that's and I was so like, cool i was like we need to paint it and like that's what he did and man that's so cool we would talk about the mythology of stuff like especially when we got to samsara we talk about like you know all the different themes of that mythology that all links in together we would talk about all the lyrics and like overall as a picture what would visualize that moment so like animus means hate and ripping off someone's 
you know, genitals and a thing is pretty hateful and seeing it with your own eyes is also even more hateful. <laughs> yeah. But then it's like the rebirth cycle of like, you know, the spider eggs and stuff on Samsara and like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's always got something. And an Erebus also follows a very similar, you know, formula as such. Um, and we just kind of always wanted to have that. Like, I think an Ere- like we, you know, we've been really close with Eleran ever since Animus really. And we talk all the time and, I generally just like working with him. Like I really enjoy it every time we like get, you know, into the creative side of stuff. He's always, you know, super hands on with it and just like, I've got this idea and then you'll listen to, you know, it's always, it's, it's good. It's good. It's just general, you know, freedom of creativity, but because he gets our idea and we get his ideas, it, it just comes to what you said, but the sick member type thing. Man, that is the coolest story. That is the coolest story. I love that so much. I always knew, I always knew there'd be something really unique and cool about how your artwork came together. That is the fact that he that he read the lyrics. Like, I need to paint this. That's the coolest, man. Like, what a what a nod for you to get, like, on your first record that the that the person you're going to for artwork has to paint it because he's been so captured, man. That's so cool. Yeah, and it's like that. That's kind of like the way it kind of goes so hand in hand with the artwork, like. I mean, I don't know factually, but there's, I'm sure there's bands who just buy stock mm. artwork. Mm. And for me, it's like the visual and the sound side is just as important as each other, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think having that artwork to belong with that sound is, is why it is so, you know, together as such. Because it is, it's built together and it's meant for each other where it's not like, some bands would buy like stock artwork or just take a photograph or something and go, Hey, cool, cool photograph. But no, this artwork means something to those songs. Every band wants the next album to be bigger and better. That goes without saying, but Erebus really is for me, uh, your finest moment so far, just an excellent death metal record. I'm I'm fully in love with it. And I'm just curious, is this like, do you feel this is just the sound of a band being at their peak at the moment captured on tape? Or did you specifically go into this record with ideas that you knew would take you to the next step? I mean, I've got another question about pain of, or is this coming up in a second, but I'm just curious whether you went in with an idea, like if we do this, it will take us to the next step. Or is this purely like you're at your peak at the moment and you've captured it in 60 minutes? Um, yeah, it was, it was more of a planned, it was definitely planned as such. Like we're very good on that sense of things. Like we're not, we always want to make sure we're doing something that has a purpose and an aim to it like sometimes it ends up better than we expected as such. Sometimes it doesn't, but I think the best thing with Erebus is before we started writing Erebus, me and Ben and Larissa, I remember we're all together and it was like, what are we going to do with Erebus? I remember we just, we just said to each other, we were like, we're going to write songs. And I was like, Oh, okay. I know what that, like when you say that, when you say that word to Venom prison, it means something because like, normally we just press play and then it's just an assault of riffs and heaviness for like four minutes but then when you go right as a song i'm like oh no mm. that's different that's different so well, i already knew that we were looking we were going to be talking about structuring um which was absolutely fine I, I kind of really 
enjoyed that element of it because there were many moments in the past where I thought, you know, maybe that could have been longer or maybe that could have come back or maybe we could have done this where I thought, right, Erebus, it's going to do that. That's what it's going to do. But we're going to make it as Venom Prison as possible at that same time and just add, you know, so much that's been going on in everyone's personal lives of what they've been learning in the background and what they've kind of been toying around with and stuff and just all implement it all into Venom Prison without forcing it and making it oversaturated. And that was the hardest bit was balancing all of the song writing out with all these new additional layers and what was too much, what sounded forced. And it was like making it the most natural evolution of Venom Prison as possible, you know, but not writing the same record twice. I'm curious what the first song you wrote for Erebus was because I feel like Pain of Always Easy is my favourite song you've ever written. I just think it's genius, brilliant, beautiful, harsh. Every great adjective I can think of is that song. Um, if that was first, I feel like it would have set the store there perfectly for, for the progression that you have gone on to achieve on the record. Uh, was Pain of Always Easy first or did something come beforehand? Judges of the Underworld was the first Right, okay, one. okay, cool. Judges was, um, that was the first, well, it's hard to pinpoint the first one because if you wanted to go that far back, songwriting never stops for us, really. We just keep mm. writing all the time. And Primeval with those two new songs mm. were in the project of what Erebus demoing started as. Interesting, okay. So there could have been a possibility that, you know, it could have been vice versa and judges would have been on, you know, that primeval yeah, thing yeah. Um, as the two bonus songs. So, yeah, judges was the first song for Erebus, though, definitely. And I think even with, like, the dynamics of the record, we already knew how we wanted to, like, tackle it. I think a lot of us have been listening to so much music at the time and, I think we already had an almost like an album layout ready as such, but just kind of had to figure out how to put it all into place and not make any connections that don't sound, you know, authentic as such. You had to all be like super consistent. So it was, yeah, it was very, it was harder than writing riffs. Like literally was harder than writing riffs. You, you mentioned the idea that you, you write all the time, which is not a foreign um, object for bands. I mean, that, that, that's usually the, this kind of state of play that we're in for bands at the moment. Um, but you, the band had been on such a furious pace since 2016, very rarely taking your foot off the gas, whether that's touring whether that, or that's writing. Just curious whether the pandemic kind of forced you to have a welcome pause for reflection and like some space for new ideas going forward. Uh, I apologise, you've probably asked a million questions about the pandemic and how it affected you, etc. But more specifically, I'm just curious whether it, that kind of one-year break kind of forced you to pause, think about what you wanted out of this and where it could go. Um, it was great, like in a, in terms of like reflection and just being able to like sit on songs for longer and just kind of, you know, kind of listening to a song for a week before just making another change to it. Mm. Or, you know, me and Ben got synths and we just sat playing on synths all day instead of writing. Like, you know, we both got one each and um, just, you know, we were just like enjoying what we were learning as such. Like there were days where I just, you know, turn the synth on and be like, oh, that sounds great. And, you know, and that's where all this element starts to come into Erebus. 
especially with Ben. Ben spent so much time. I think he's got like fucking four of them now. Started Erebus <laughs> with one and now he's got like four. Um, but I think it's because we just enjoyed learning. Like Larissa was really getting into the idea of clean vocals and singing and all this. And, you know, I think everyone found such a nice balance on Erebus to like not make it corny. It never feels corny or no. forced. No. And like, like, it, that was the one thing that Scott Atkins said when we were like, you know, finishing up the record. He was like, nothing sounds out of place or like corny or stands out is like, a, like you know, as a, oh no. But mm. everything's very consistent and just seamless. And I think that is, you know, why I like Erebus so much is because it was the hardest part to make it feel like that rather than the actual riffs as such. Just got a couple of questions left for you before I let you uh, enjoy your evening, unless another gaming question comes to mind. Um, <laughs> in terms of like your writing process, I've always felt like the intensity of Venom Prison is obviously such a key theme. And with you having to write separately and not being able to come together for that writing process, was it hard to kind of splice things together and then find that intensity? I'd imagine I'd imagine a, a recording studio session for you guys would be quite an intense experience with the kind of product that we put out. And um, Was it difficult to capture that same intensity when we're writing and then you're sending it over, they're listening to it, sending you a bass hook back? And I, I just imagine it's quite difficult to, to put all that together and have it still sound as intense as it does. Um, so usually it'll be, I've got my own setup here to demo and Ben's also got his own little home setup as well. And we basically just write and I'll, you know, program the drums in, I'll record, you know, the bass, the guitars, everything. And then I'll send the idea over to Ben. Ben will be like, oh, I've got this idea here. If I can just chop this out here, can I add this in? I'll be like, yeah, sure. And then when me and Ben are like, it's finished, then we'll send it to the rest of the guys. And oh, okay. Then, then we'll be like, right, you want to add this? Do you like Do you like this? Don't you like this? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, you like it. Now let's add your bass. Rather than kind of keep sending me ideas and then I chop bits out of songs like literally every day sometimes. Like I'm just like going through a song again, like a demo, and I'm like, nope, that can come out. And I'll just fully take like a minute of music out or something. So there's no point me sending it to the guys until me and Ben think it's done because otherwise I'm just getting them to lay down like bass or like if Joe or put his electric drum kit into the interface and then I can just get the MIDI back from him. It's a lot of time for him to sit down, learn, write, add to it for me to just erase it in, yeah. in, yeah. in a day. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't put them through that. I just kind of get to the point where me and Ben go, yeah, is that finished? And he'll go, yeah, I think it's finished. And then we'll give it to the guys. And then that's kind of where it goes from there as such. Easy to criticise the digital age. And there's a lot that the digital age can be criticised for. But, I mean, imagine the position we we could be in right now, specifically Venom Prison, if it was 1996, you know. It, they're, they're, as much as the digital age takes away from society or, or gives us new problems, it does give on the other hand, doesn't it? Well, put it like this. If we didn't have this technology, Venom Prison would literally still be on our first EP. Like this band discovered very, very quickly that it cannot go in a practice room and write together. Like I'm just playing something. Ben's just playing something. <laughs> like the drums are just going mad. And then I was always demoing, you know, as well at the same time, but we were using practice rooms when we first started the band. And um, 
I remember just saying to Ben, I was like, Ben, you need to get an interface. We need to just write at home and come to band practice when we actually have something. Because like we were just like, I remember one practice, we played the same riff for like six hours. And I was just like, Amazing. I was like, I can't, I, I can't do this. Like, you know, <laughs> I, could, I could literally have written six songs tonight. Instead, <laughs> instead, we've done this one riff for six hours. So we nipped that in the bud really quickly. And then Joe, when Joe joined the band, our drummer, he introduced us. Well, I say introduced us. He was like, you guys are now playing to click. And I was like, oh, wow, that's new. Um, so we all started playing to click live. And now we just practice before a tour. And then, or a show like Bloodstock, we just kind of, everyone has the click at home. Everyone has all the music and tabs everything out and everything. So everyone's playing exactly the same thing. We've all got the click. So we turn up to the one practice before a festival. And if everyone's practiced at home, then as soon as our drummer counts in that four, then you should be pretty locked in. Yeah. You can, always t- you can always tell pretty quickly who hasn't been practicing. It's, it's kind of how classical, you know, classical would do something very similar where they just practice the piece at home. They should know the tempo. They should know the thing. And like, I think not from a standpoint of going, oh, bands, you should do this. But at the same time, I am kind of going, bands, you should do this, especially younger bands, because like they'll spend so much money in their early band stages just trying to make their band work and sometimes they'll just you know practice and practice for god knows how long you know what i mean like Mm. there's bands when i was going to the practice room like they were there like every single day for like seven hours in the summer and stuff and i'd be like how the fuck can you afford that like (laughs) that must be so expensive like what the fuck like but I'm not, I'm not trying to kill the practice room industry so mm. before they come and like burn my eggs down. <laughs> like, but, you know, at the same time, younger bands could spend more time just with, a, you know, a, a little interface and just record at home and just make songs at home and show their friends and then their friends can just learn them. And it's just productive. It's just productive and more efficient. That's all I can see. Just before we get into uh, our quick fire round to finish, um, you, you've always been like really open in interviews about the idea that you treat Venom Prison uh, kind of as a, like a family member in the sense of you want to do your best for it right now in that current moment. And then what happens, happens. At least you know you've done your best. But when we really look at what Venom Prison is in 2022 and what Erebus is definitely going to do for Venom Prison, you're on Century Media, about to release your best record today, which I'm certain is going to do huge things for you. Um, it's got to be getting almost impossible to not start looking to the future even slightly now. Like I'm assuming it's getting very difficult to not think, right, okay, I'd love for us to achieve, insert achievement in 10 months because the pace is really picking up now. Um, weirdly, no. No, like it's it's really strange like it's really strange like don't get me wrong i'm super excited like, mm. i am really excited but it's like i've been speaking to ben about creative ideas already like you know things to support erebus like some visual stuff some more you know sound stuff as such without mm. giving too much away but like i'm already like deep into doing that as such and you know to kind of like take my eye off that and you know be present with everything that's going on especially with like you know we've got a record that's on its way like there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with the band you know 
business wise if that's what you want to say or admin wise and then you've got a lot of creative stuff going on as well it's really hard to think any further forward because there's so much going on now that I just know that the moment I take my eye off it and kind of go oh I'm just going to daydream about you know my future life then everything in front of me is just kind of fallen to shit because <laughs> <laughs> I've just like not been looking at it and I always like the guys always just go like Ash can't you just be a bit optimistic and I'm like I am I am being optimistic I am generally being optimistic but I also do feel that I can't tell where like I can't tell where Venom Prism is ever going to go and that's kind of why I've always really liked Venom Prism is because mm. I can never fucking tell what it's going to do like we just do the things it needs it to do and that is be a band write music you know do our touring festivals whatever it is play our shows all the things that come as a band photos videos all that and yeah it's kind of like things just kind of happened like you know that i remember when like metal hammer and all that like kind of picked us up and then we got that award for the best new band thing at this and it i never ever set out to do any of that like I never set out to do any of that. I literally just finished in my last band that I was doing before Venom Prison. I was just fucking bored and wanted to play in a band, like a couple of shows with my mates and wanted to release a demo and an EP. And then before I know it, all like this like mad shit's happening and apparently we're going on tour with blah, blah, blah and magazines are doing this. And it's like, I'm super grateful for it. Like I am, but my main focus has always just been to give Venom Prison, you know, what it needs as a band rather than worrying about everything on the outside as such. That's fascinating, man. I, I love, I, I love the, the kind of thought process that goes through to Venom Prism. I, I genuinely thought then you were going to say, yeah, mate, to be fair, I am starting to think about like what we could achieve in the next six months. I love that you don't, man. That's the coolest. I love that so much. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Where I just feel that, Every like you know, everyone wants to think about past stuff, and it's like you know we've done great things in the past, and that's cool. And like everyone will go, oh, you're going to do great things in the future, but like those things can't happen if you're not present. Mm, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like that. Like you know, like these like wishful futuristic <clears throat> thinkings don't happen by just thinking they happen. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think, yeah. I think it applies to anything in life. I think if you're in a job where you really like your job and you're going for like a career, like you do just kind of be very present in that moment and try and achieve whatever you're trying to achieve in that job to get a promotion or whatever it is. And like it applies to anything. And I just never treated Venom Prison differently, you know? Dude, this has been the coolest thing, man. I've really, really enjoyed speaking to you. I've wanted to speak to you for uh, for quite a long time. So this has been really awesome, man. Just as we finish off here, uh, whenever we do an interview on the Noise Podcast with a band member, we've got a quick fire round. I'm going to ask you 20 multiple choice questions and see how quickly uh, you can answer them. You will be the first person to do this in 2022. So you're going to set the ball rolling, Ash, when you're ready, we'll start. Let's go on then. Let's do it. Batman or Superman? Batman. First person or third person shooter? First person. Best time of the day? Oh, morning. Marvel or DC? DC. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Your favourite non-musical hobby? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. <laughs> uh, 
uh, cars, mobile, <laughs> any outdoor fun shit. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, your favorite album of all time? This one always gets people. Your favorite album of all time? Uh, I think Sleeping with Ghost Placebo. Oh, awesome. Think, your favorite band of all time? Placebo. Awesome. Call of Duty or Battlefield? Call of Duty. Konami or Capcom? Oh. I, can I wrote that. I thought that's a toughie. <laughs> oh, Konami. It's quick. Konami, I've got to, yeah. Uh, the Witcher or Skyrim? The Witcher. The hardest Venom prison song to write? Oh, oh God, that's, they're all fucking hard. Um, <laughs> they do sound hard to write. They are all fucking so, uh, uterine industrial, uh, uterine industrialization. I can't even say it myself. That was difficult. Yeah. Uh, best live show you've ever seen. Oh, best live show I've ever seen. That's really tough. That's yeah. That really, one gets, really... pe- that one always gets people. Oh, I, I think I'm going to say when I was a kid, I don't remember the specific year, but the fact I'm saying a kid should indicate that it was a long time ago. <laughs> I went to see I went to see Fall Out Boy, and awesome. it was when they did "Take This to Your Grave." Oh, that awesome! Album. That's it sick. Was, and they played two new songs off uh, from under uh, from under the cork tree. That's it sick. Re- and it wasn't released, and it was they were sick. They were that's like sick. I'm into it. Super good. Best live show you've ever played. Oh God! Oh, I'm, oof. oh, you got you doing good for time, man. You're doing well. Don't worry. Don't stress about it. I want to say Bloodstock because we had fire. That's but sick. Then, that's sick. I want. Yeah, Bloodstock. We had fire. Like, I, yeah. That's what else do you want? Yeah. Why uh, am I even questioning this? <laughs> uh, soap operas, good or bad? Huh? Sorry. Soap operas, good or bad? Oh. Fuck them. They're awful. <laughs> they are pretty bad. Um, your favourite game of all time? Oh, that, uh, Final Fantasy VIII. Console exclusivity, good or bad? Good. Tea or coffee? Oh, I have coffee in the morning, tea at night. Uh, coffee. Uh, your favourite TV show or perhaps the one you're watching at the moment? Oh, favourite TV show. Oh, that's very tough. Favourite TV show, right, I don't know if it is, so this may change by the time this call finishes, okay, but okay. I really, really, really enjoyed that Hannibal TV series. Oh, cool, my mum watched that, she had lots of good things to say about um, that as well, yeah. The, the guy, he's Dutch, is he Dutch, Max? He played in Death Stranding. Oh, oh I know what you're on about, um, oh. Max, Max, is it Max? It, it, I'm sure um, it's Max. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's Dutch. He's Dutch. I know exactly. I can picture him right now. I can pick. He's the main villain in Death Stranding. I can. Well, you think he's yeah. the villain until twist at the end. Um, I, like I can picture who he is. I can't think of his last name. Uh, but yeah, I yeah. know exactly who you're on about. He's he's phenomenal in Hannibal. Like incredible. And then finally, the best piece of advice you would ever give someone. Oh God, I'm never. I'm never one to take wisdom off. <laughs> um. Just don't be a dick. Do you know what I mean? Like, great piece is, of advice. Great like, piece of advice. I could tell you like how to live your life, but you'd probably be like, fuck off. So I guess 
don't tell me to fuck off and just don't be a dick and then I won't have to say anything. <laughs> Great piece of advice. Dude, this was the coolest man. Uh, I've wanted to speak to you for a long time. Um, love Venom Prison. Everboss is amazing. I'm really proud of you guys. Um, I can't wait to see what you do for Extreme Metal in Britain. Uh, I'm so happy for what you've achieved. I've got sky's the limit for what you're going to achieve next. Erebos is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you so much for your time, man. This was sick. Thank you for having me as well. Thank you. Dude, I'm going to let you go, man. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care, man. Bye-bye.